Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist, and I'm a nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And with us, we have Mike Nelson as a co-host. Hey, Mike, maybe just, uh, I know listeners are familiar with you, but uh, one or two things about yourself. Hey, guys. Yeah, um, I did a PhD exercise physiology and a master's in mechanical engineering, biomechanics. Uh, do my own training, both online and in person, write articles, ebooks, all the fun stuff. All right. And our guest today is Mr. Jeff McCarroll. Uh, no doubt will be a good source of stories and, and whatnot. Jeff is arguably probably the best choice I could make for an industry insider kind of guy that goes way back you know, in the industry to pre-EAS explosion days and just so many things. But we're going to get to Jeff in just a sec. We've got just a little bit of news here. Strength and Muscle Sport News. The first bit I had just tweeted about it's about EAS, 100% whey protein. My wife had gone, I said, you know, go get some, just a giant bag of whey protein at Sam's Club. And so she got this stuff. And I mean, it literally says 100% whey protein powder, protein powder, 100%. To me, that means all, right? So I look, and it's got 12 grams of carbs per serving, and you got to take two scoops in order to get 30 grams worth of protein. So I'm like, <laughs> they're cutting in carbs, you know, the what are they doing? Uh, so I look, yeah, 12 grams of carbs, and it's corn maltodextrin is the second ingredient. Mm. And, you know, and I kind of complained about that on Twitter. And one guy's like, well, you know, that's no less um, misinformative than anything else in the aisle, you know, at Sam's Club there, you know, in the supplement aisle. And I, But that's sort of a straw man argument. That's not what I was saying. You know, I, I wasn't saying that everybody's good and these guys are not i'm just saying i feel like it's misleading you know when you buy a bag this has a hundred percent whey protein powder damn it i want a hundred percent whey protein powder you know even a concentrate would have a might have a few grams of carbs but not that many you know so uh if you're on a low carb diet you, listeners you might want to watch out for that again i'm i don't want to throw stones too hard at this you know it's got 30 grams of protein if you do do the two scoops and if you don't mind the extra carbs um and some days, you know, you well, can even need them, you know. But. Lonnie, you know why that is, don't you? Tell me. Simple thing is cost. When a product has, when a product has to go into Sam's or, or uh, uh, Costco, they have to give them the cheapest price possible. Well, how do you keep the cost down in protein is you mix maltodextrin in there with less protein. Now your your profit margin goes up uh, 20% easily. Yep. Yep. Because 12 grams of carbs... Like I said, that's way beyond just that little dab of lactose that might be in there from the, you know, the whey concentrate or whatever. It's, uh, yeah, I, I mean, how much of that five-pound bag is carbs? You could do the math, you know, because t two scoops has 30 protein and a dozen carbs. Well, if you do the math, you know, there's a substantial chunk of that bag, five-pound bag, that's carbs. Anyway, I just, I kind of wish they didn't say 100% on it, you know, because now I've got this big bag of stuff. And, I mean, like I said, it's not like it's bad. I'll... I'll drink it but anyway 
Um, this next one is for, uh, actually for you, Mike, and myself. This is from a listener, Michael. He says, um, hi, guys, as always, you know, thanks for producing the best lifting podcast out there. I finally finished listening to the excellent uh, D. Pascali interview and the Mike Nelson metabolic inflexibility episode. Uh, and I read your article on carb justification. Um, then today he went to a website called um, breakingmuscle.com, and they referenced a study uh, about the absence of any ill effects from using fast food as recovery chow. Uh, and then he, he points out that Rob, in the past, he said on the show that you know he'll eat a grease wheel. You know, he'll pile down a pizza. Phil will say he'll drink a milkshake if he's really depleted. And so uh, he wanted us to speak to a few things. He said a couple of things. One, um, he's seen some data. That hard exercise depletes muscles 65 to 85% and the liver up to 95% of all of its carbs. You know, um, It also says that even a 20-minute workout can significantly deplete muscle glycogen, um, 30 to 50%, I think, here. And uh, he says, I myself am a Ph.D. physical chemist in addition to an avid strength trainer. So that's what he wants us to speak to. Uh, how many carbs you know does he need? He says he gains muscle well, but he also gains fat fairly easily. Uh, and what qualifies as hard exertion? So, Mike, what would you tell this guy as far as what's a hard workout that would justify needing extra carbs? Yeah. Um, so kudos to him for being a PCAM person. I went to school with a bunch of those guys. They're, that's just some really nutty stuff. Um yeah, I think it depends upon what you're looking at for, I assume we're talking about strength training, right? Yes. So mm -hmm. in general, and I know you've talked about this before too, Lonnie, is that you need a pretty high level of, of activity and exercise to deplete a fair amount of carbohydrates. Um, you know, the classic studies they do, you know, if you're looking at lower body is, you know, Wingate and just pretty much just high amounts of muscular work in order to you know, fatigue out or deplete out a fair amount of carbs. Um, so I guess we'd have to know a little bit more about what he's doing for, you know, training. Is he doing full body type stuff for, you know, 60 minutes or so? Yeah, you're probably going to be you know, relatively low at that point. Um, but, you know, from looking at the studies, if you're really, really trying to deplete to really, really low levels, it's multiple back to back high intensity sessions normally combined with a lower carbohydrate diet or at minimum an overnight fast. So it's pretty hard to do. I would say if you're to throw a dart and guess at an average amount, eh, 50-ish percent maybe for a, a hard training session, I'd probably say. What would you say, Lonnie? It's become stickier, I think, in yeah. recent years because I've read some work from – I'm almost sure it's from Stu Phillips' group about – you don't really absolutely even have to have carbs in your post-workout drink to maximize muscle protein synthesis because he's interested right. in, in that. You know, So in other words, uh, I'm a little confused at the moment as to, right, I mean, will protein do it alone? Maybe you could just do it with protein, you know, and I mean, what he's talking about here, some of that stuff I've written about before and referenced, you know, you can in a half an hour of just doing stuff like leg extensions and whatnot, you can me measure significant drops in muscle carb stores, you know, in glycogen stores. Uh, obviously, we can see on a metabolic cart in a lab. If you train hard, you know, you shift over that crossover effect to using carbohydrates. Uh, and that's a very reproducible effect, but usually that involves more like a steady state kind of cardio. And I think that, Mike, that's why you said, what's he doing? You know, because yeah. I mean, he does point out, 
He said, um, I'm not talking about hour long puke your guts out CrossFit Metcon sessions. Mm-hmm. You know, thing on that too, I'm, I'm sure you've seen is that if it depends on the time point you measure, right? So if we look 24 hours later and your calories are sufficient, your glycogen stores are going to be, you know, pretty good. If you're saying, hey, I'm an American football player and I've got a session where I'm doing weights in the afternoon or whatever, a skill session, and I've got, you know, weights at night. Yeah, now you're. I would definitely recommend a, a faster acting carb. You know, for guys and gals I work with, you know, I use Vitargo a lot. I find it works really well. There's some good data on that. Um, and then also even just stuff like if you're doing a fair amount of, you know, spinning off lactate during the exercise session, you know, hard stuff around 30 to 60, maybe 90 seconds, your body can recycle the lactate, you know, back into glycogen stores too, depending upon, you know, how long you wait when your next session is. Yeah. So. Hey, uh, you know what I may do too is, I mean, I mentioned metabolic carts. Another way, the old school way that's still used a lot is a muscle biopsy. I mean, how do we know? Yeah. How do you know, you know, you got 50% less carbs, you know, glycogen in your quads after just doing traditional bodybuilding training? A lot of that's biopsy. So maybe I'll see if I can't um, link to uh, what that looks like, and I'll put it in the little extras on our Libsyn, you know, feed, um, because that might shock people. Uh, a muscle biopsy, you know, it's essentially almost a McDonald's straw-sized needle, and they put a little incision in the side of your, your quads there and your vastus lateralis, and they take a Rice Krispie-sized chunk, you know. Uh, but it's it's neat to see how we know right this is not speculation you can directly take samples and say oh look at all the carbs going away i think it begs the question about the uh, timing you know like yep. like you're saying if you're back at it if you're a football player and you got two a days man you better slam some i don't know lucky charms you know go for that fast food or the milkshake like we are talking about uh because you've got to perform later today you know but for the long haul yeah too much junk food what concerns me is there's just so much crap in junk food you know, yeah, it's it's a lot of it's fast acting carbs. It's lots of calories you can get very quickly. It's got sodium in there. A lot of things that are often no nos could actually be helpful to an athlete. But it's also got junk. You know, nitrites. Uh, I used to think those were only bad for stomach cancer risk, but those mess with your mental function. You know, from all these like low quality cured meats and stuff. Um, just so much junk. Uh, I don't know, Mike, if you or even Jeff, if you've ever seen some of these food documentaries, but. Sometimes they make a, a Big Mac or you know some of these fast food burgers look like pink goo poured into a circle mold. Yeah. You know, it doesn't look like it's not round steak, right? Yeah, and that's what came to mind the McDonald's show. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, there's some interesting data showing it it alters potentially blood vessel function and that type of thing after you know the classic is the the McDonald's you know fast food meal and especially more higher fat content and that type of thing too. Yeah. Um, also depends on how many calories he's consuming, right? So if he's only eating, which is probably not, you know, super low, 1,200 calories a day, and 80% of that is junk food, you're going to have all sorts of problems. But you know, if you're eating, you know, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 calories a day, and, you know, you have a few Pop-Tarts or some fries here or there, it's probably not nearly as, as big of a deal. You know, you're getting lots of other good stuff in your diet at that point. Right. Yeah, I was always a fan for the one-for-one rule where I would tell athletes, you know, listen, if you're in training, you know, and you're a young man, you need calories, you know, you need 3,000 calories just to walk around campus. So, I mean, if you really want to gain mass, and he, this guy, now, specifically, Michael says he's not just trying to crash through barriers recklessly, you know, but uh, go 
eat the good stuff. Like have yourself like a dry, you know, grilled chicken sandwich. And then if you need calories, then back it up with a, a quarter pounder or something, you know, or a, something a little sloppier just for the calories. The problem with that is like we we're saying in day in, day out, it's one thing to be very depleted and you're desperate to recover because you got to train again today. But if you've got 24, 36, 48 hours, your glycogen stores are going to come back up well enough that unless you're doing some hardcore conditioning you know, I wouldn't sweat it too much. I mean, you could also look at this as a dose. People always like dose, right? Like if you're in hard training, we've heard a lot of us before four to one ratio of carbs to protein, you know, in a couple hours after you train. Um, I would say if you're worried about fat gain, you could drop that down to a one to one ratio. You know, if you're like, uh, let's say you're a middle aged guy, you're like, I'm just going to get 30 or 40 grams of protein when I'm done training. Maybe just throw in 30 or 40 grams of carbs. It doesn't have to be a boatload, you know, um, so, yeah, and one thing I've noticed lately too is that there's a lot of debate about you know nutrient timing and all that kind of stuff. Some studies say yes, some studies say no. Um, but what I've been playing around with with more strength sessions and more glycolytic work, uh, having athletes and myself have more carbohydrates before, a little bit during, and some after, it appears to modify the stress response. Um, so the way I measured that is looking at heart rate variability the next day. And then also, how many strength sessions can I have them get in per week and still make progress? So most people can add, you know, at least one more session per week, um, which doesn't sound like a lot. But if you multiply that by a year, that's potentially, you know, 50 more training sessions to potentially get stronger, too. Mm -hmm. So if people have been intentionally having very low carbohydrates around their training, I'd encourage them to try that and just, you know, see how the results go with it. It's Usually for most people I've worked with, it's been pretty beneficial. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. Well, thanks for waiting, Jeff. Let's get to Jeff here. Jeff, you've got a long history in the bodybuilding supplement industry, right? So tell us about your origin story. How do you get into doing what you're doing? Because you've taken it to a very high level. Well, um, it's really simple. I, I got my first uh, job in the industry when I was uh, a young man in college. Um, I was down in, in Miami, University of Miami, and got a job with the uh, then known as Scandinavian Health Spas. As uh, if you're from Ohio or Pennsylvania, you're familiar with them. Um, and they are now Bally's. Well, you know, during college, you know, I'm in the gym business. Uh, supplements weren't big back then. I mean, back then we had Orginine and Arginine, <laughs> right? And, uh, amino <laughs> acids, you know, the big horse pills. Yeah. But, um, and there was no protein. If you did, you couldn't stomach it anyhow. Mm -hmm. But, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, and we were still eating liver pill, liver tabs back then. And, um, I went into the Army, uh, and spent, uh, four years in the 75th Ranger Regiment, you know, decided to serve my country and wanted to be the, the best I could be. So I joined the Rangers. But in the Rangers, what I've learned was you're looking at some of the greatest athletes in the world. Um, Rangers, Seals, Green Berets, these, you know, their their physical uh, attributes that are such a high level to, to do that, you're really surprised. Well, what I noticed was, um, you know, the lack of nutrition, mm -hmm. the lack of supplementation, um, which drove me to go back to school and, and, and finish my education, which I, I did it in, in, with an exercise science degree with a focus on biochemistry and physiology. And um, after that, when I got out, I, I joined EAS. Um, from there, I went to Metrics, and then from Metrics, I went over to uh, Biotest. Did some consulting in between, but went, went to Biotest and, and met up with you, Lonnie, and did some consulting at Pinnacle. Yeah. Um, 
And then, uh, actually, I think we were metrics for a little while together, too, right? Yeah. Um, and then um, uh, VPX, I was president of VPX for a short time, and then eventually launched Nutrix. And, um, and that was in 2002. And as you know, Nutrix, we've had a lot of success. It's done really well. And, uh, you know, God, God's blessed us with uh, an opportunity to uh, be able to, uh, you know, I think touch the industry in a way with, uh, with our liquid cut technology, which was one of the things that I brought to the market. And we brought Vitargo to the, to this country too as well, Mike. <laughs> um, and, you know, since then I've since sold Nutrix. And, um, you know, I'm, to be honest with you, right now I'm working on a, a new school called American Fitness Academy. We are, our goal is to certify personal trainers and nutritionists, certify them and, and educate them on a level that's just not <clears throat> seen in the public. Um, we're, we're, uh, and just hopefully money's going to be my PhD, uh, on the staff full time if I ever can lure him away. But, um, <laughs> he, um, I, I think our goal is we're currently right now teaching in Bahrain over in the Middle East. Uh, we've already launched over there and we are automating that system as well. To, uh, in a program where you'll be able to literally sit down and watch a movie or a cartoon like you would do as a kid or any other thing and, 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 and go through a, a certification course. Yeah, the technology is know, cool. That's a very cool technology. Yeah. I haven't seen anybody do that kind of stuff yet, you know. Yeah, we will be the first to do it. And, and again, when I launched Nutrix, um, I wanted to be the first with LiquiCap. I wanted to be the first to bring Vitargo out. Um, you know, and I should touch the base that I've now sold Nutrix my partner he's bought me out i'm i'm free and clear and out of the supplement industry officially right now mm-hmm. but um um the um the technology is going to be something very unique but you know through those years i've been i've been around a long time i can honestly say without aging myself too much i've been in the industry well over 25 years and um i've seen it you know go from infant stage like i said from liver tabs to to liquid cap technology to inner cap technology you know so uh, we've tried to keep up with the uh, pharmaceutical industry as far as delivery systems as best we can with, you know, without the FDA putting their foot on our neck. Um, but I think we've done a pretty good job with it and got a chance to meet a lot of really good people and, and been involved in some innovative stuff. So mm-hmm. uh, that's pretty much it. Yeah, cool. That's now, you've consulted for Big Pharma, too. I mean, do, do your ideas go yeah. to both Big Pharma and supplement companies, or do you just borrow their ideas? Because you actually brought some of those ideas to Big Pharma, correct? Yeah, I did. I, I you know, when I had the idea for LiquidCap, um, my problem was is the tooling was is how do we take a two piece gelatin or veggie cap and seal that thing with liquid in it? And obviously, that liquid is a it's part water, part oil. But I, and one of our tricks was the oil. And obviously, I don't want to let that out because now Big Pharma pays for that. Mm-hmm. And, and I took that to Big Pharma. And Big Pharma turned around and patented it, certified it. And, you know, obviously, being a supplement guy, I had to learn the hard knocks there, but um, on the legal side. But, you know, they, uh, the, the company I'd want to, um, you could probably look it up if you wanted to, but they've been, they have been very loyal and uh, very honest. I have to say they're a very credible, credible pharmaceutical company. But, um, yeah, and I took it there. And that, and that was that was a unique thing. In our industry, we have a lot of really smart guys, you know, Lonnie, you included. You know, we, we sit around and brainstorm all the time, but what we don't have are the resources that Big Pharma has. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where, they, if they would just work together, we could, you know, we could do wonders for the for, for Americans or, you know, human, human race in general. But I don't think that, um, I just don't see that ever happening. 
Yeah, know, unfortunately. But, well, I think it's cool. Yeah. A lot of people probably assume that you know big pharmaceutical companies, you know, and randomly listing things, Merck, Pfizer. I mean, you go down a big list, you know, AstraZeneca, whatever. That they're you know they somehow have so many resources. They've got teams of PhDs, and that's true. But then they look at the supplement companies as sort of a joke. And maybe size-wise, by comparison, they are. But I agree with you. There are select minds. Uh, you know, we got Dr. Nelson with us. He'd be a, a good one for people to pluck information from. The point being is uh, they're not always light years apart because guys like you, you work with both. You know, you bring some of those ideas to the, to the much smaller supplement companies you know, and it's not always light years behind big pharma like you might think. But I would say it's rare, though, you know, because for every guy in the supplement world who's actually doing good work, there's a bunch of people that are just throwing a lab coat and pretending, you know. So anyway. Right. No, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, guys. Let's. We're going to go to break. When we come back, uh, I've got some similar questions for Jeff uh, that we asked Brian last week. Um, as far as what it's like to work behind the scenes with, you know, bodybuilding supplement companies and the industry and, and whatnot. So we'll be back in just a minute. Hi, this is Dr. Lowry with an update on the protein book that you hear about in the ad at the end of the show. Uh, if you simply Google CRC Press in protein, uh, there's a new development on the right side of the page. You can see ebook, and there's a purchase slash rent option. And the cool thing here is if you check that out now, because they have an agreement with Vital Book, uh, you can actually download the ebook for sixty nine US dollars. So that's thirty one percent off the ninety nine ninety five uh, cover price. So that's pretty fantastic. Sixty nine dollars. I think that's gonna drop it into the affordable range for a lot of people, and you can even rent it. Uh, lower down the page, they have 180-day rentals and one-year rentals, so you can access the book in electronic format and get some of this juicy information. So, thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, We'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook – uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website, and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media, and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes – we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it.
Okay, everybody, we're back. It's Lonnie, and we've uh, got co-host Mike Nelson, Dr. Nelson, with us today. And we are interviewing Jeff McCarroll, who uh, rose through the ranks uh, in the bodybuilding supplement world, as we were saying before break, you know, literally from the days of liver tabs. And, God, I remember the days where I couldn't find a decent protein powder either. Uh, there was a time when I lived out in San Diego I I had a bout of lactose intolerance uh, for months. I don't know why. Sometimes it could be viral. Who knows? But, I mean, there was no decent protein powders, you know, and uh, there's so much now. You know, you can get protein without all that lactose and without all the carbs or, you know, it's just amazing how things have changed in a lot of ways. So there has been progress, even though oftentimes it's it's silly. Um, but anyway, that kind of begs the question then, Jeff. I mean, you've worked – with all these supplement companies, some of the biggest ones in the business, you've—I know—you've done trade events, you know, and worked booths and all that kind of stuff. But one of the things that I wanted to ask you is, what made you stand out? Right? There's lots of people working those booths, whether salespeople or the science token science guy or the booth babes. I mean, there's lots of people working at these trade events. What made you stand out and rise to the top? What do you think? Well, I—I I, I think, um, it, like I said, when I. I, I think I made a decision while back in school. Um, I, I, you know, I met a couple, uh, a couple of guys I look up to in the industry, like yourself, Lon. And 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 what I've seen is the academia guys, the guys that are the true science guys. Um, you, you, they just don't seem to grow in the industry because I don't think the industry truly cares as much as they say uh, the pharmaceutical industry would for for good academics. Right. You know what I mean, mm-hmm. uh, or good academia. So what I concentrated on was enough education, so I understood what was going on. Um, I wanted to be innovative, but more importantly, I wanted to be on the business side of things. Because, you know, I, I do have a family. I, you know, I had a wife and three kids, and I wanted to uh, give them the best life possible. And I know this sounds crazy, but let's be honest, the um, the, the monetary value is not on the science side. Right, no. Uh, actually, uh, you know uh, what, it, Jeff? It, uh, Mike and I were just talking about that before yeah. we hit record. Mike's... Mike's on the science side too, so I mean, um, yeah, you're not going to embarrass us with any of that. That's no. you know, just like <laughs> yeah. y- you know, you and I have talked about Jeff. Is I mean, <laughs> you remember back in the day? It's like Lonnie, you're going too far with the science. That's not going to pay out. You know what I mean? And <laughs> and then I'd watch guys like Jeff. And the the problem is sometimes you got an inner geek, and if you're good at something, you stick with it. And I know Mike, you're like that too. You know yeah. what I mean? So you're just like, well, yeah. I'll I'll take what I can, and hopefully there's enough companies out there that takes the high road and actually wants a real R and D program with real products. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Anyway, right. And well, in the, in the the problem you have out there right now, let's be honest, the supplement industry is still a small industry. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still very fragmented. Um, and, and with that said, you know, I got into the business side and, and working booths and things like that. Yeah, they were one thing. I also was a competitive bodybuilder as well. Um, my whole, fa- you know, my children didn't eat a candy bar until they were six or seven years old. Um, <laughs> right. Okay. You know. You know and then that's how we, you know, we, we, you know, our kids are very healthy and we, you know, and we, you know, we, we push that. But so I was on, on both sides of the house, but, you know, growing a business is also very, uh, challenging as well. Um, you know, I'm one of those guys, it's not about money, it's about winning the game. You know, um, I always wanted to build companies the best we could do with the best quality of customer service, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and as I moved through the industry, um, I also ran into, you know, you do run into a lot of, I don't know what you would call them, fly-by-night businessmen, quasi-moto businessmen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at, at one time we did, and we and we seen a lot of that, especially in the 80s and 90s. 
Um, and, you know, and it's definitely cleaned up. The industry has really grown to be a respectful industry now. Um, you know, you talked about the protein earlier. You know, and a great example is, you know, in the 80s, we couldn't find a decent protein to even choke down. Mm-hmm. But come the, come the 90s, it tasted really good. And come the mid-90s to the late 90s, you see designer way and some of these companies grow. Now you have muscle milk and so many proteins out there. If you notice, the late 90s and early 2000s, the protein quality was getting better and better and better. Um, and it was the lactose and all that was being taken out. And, and you're getting more protein per serving. But if you look closely, what's happening now, as the industry has grown and money's gotten tight with our economy, you're noticing that you're getting a lower grade protein, you're getting less carbs per serving or less protein per serving. Mm-hmm. And as you talked about earlier, yeah. you're seeing carbs flushed in there. And, and, and then because profit margins have to go up. The thing that's focused on now is taste. You will be surprised how many people just care what it tastes like instead of focusing on the quality. And, and, and that's, I think, a sign of the industry is growing, growing big, you know, and, and getting to, to be in the big game. Cause you find it in Sam's Club and, and, and Costco. And you and I remember a day you would never find anything like that in there. Oh, right. Um, you know, and, and so when I, when I came up through the industry, you know, my goal was, to, was to go to mass, was to, to take companies, uh, uh, mainstream and, and for everybody to understand this is a way of life. It's not just a business. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's why I've done well and and grown and and listen timing and and, and a lot of luck, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of things go your way. Uh, New tricks we took off obviously was was our liquid cap technology. Micro six was my baby, and and uh, bringing liquid cap technology just took everything to a, to a whole another level. And uh, and then after that was the inner cap technology, um, where we put a capsule with uh, timed release beads. And now, if you remember, you and I were messing with time release beads back at Pinnacle back in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We were talking about that back in the late 90s. Uh, it took me almost 10 years to finally make it work. Um, but, um, you know, I think that's how I've, I've moved through the industry. And I think that's, uh, we've seen industry grow in that same, same pretense that, you know, uh, some of the scientists have gone to the business side. Right. Um, but with that said, it may have, it may fragment us still, though, I think. Yeah. Yep. Mike, what do you think about innovation, you know, in the industry? I mean, I know, like you even said, you live across the street from the, the guys that make the PA, you know, and yep. stuff like that. I mean, I'm guessing you still, you think there's still innovations being made, like legitimate research based innovations. Yeah, I think there is some. I mean, what's interesting about just the couple of smaller companies that do that, some of them are actually their parent company. A lot of times is a pharmaceutical company. That's, I'd say, a lot more rare than the norm by far. But there is a few pharmaceutical companies that, you know, kind of are are doing both a little bit. Um, So I think there is actually some good (coughs) innovation coming, but usually it's from... I would say smaller companies that have a larger parent company that can support that. So even if you look at the research like on PA, I mean, a lot of that stuff goes back, you know, several years now. And then even then, once you can show that it works and then trying to scale that up right from the manufacturing side and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you're talking about, you know, significant amount of money, especially putting it into the research. And unfortunately, you know, most, companies don't necessarily need research to sell a product. Right. Right. I mean, you, you can have one, two, three, four studies. Another company could pop up across the street and go, yeah, we have something that's just as good. Ah," You know, and 
I don't know if the consumers would really go with one that has more backing than the other. I would hope that they would, but I think if you look historically, I I kind of agree with Jeff that that sadly that's probably not true. Hopefully that'll change in the future though. Yeah. You know, if we held the supplement companies to a pharmaceutical standard, you know, and guys like you and me and Jeff, I think we've all consulted for both pharma and supplement companies. But the point being is, I mean, imagine if you went to get antibiotics and there was no research behind that. You know what I mean? There was no scientist at the root of that. And you're taking, you know, your child is dying from some kind of infection and you know you're giving him antibiotics thinking yeah I th he's like i think i feel a little better <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. and uh -huh. it, it yeah. may or may not work i mean what kind of standard is that so even though there's a well, lot but, of go ahead yeah, but on the other side well, how would you feel if you went and bought antibiotics and it cost two hundred dollars for a bottle yeah so that that that's that you, you, people don't realize that all these things have to be paid for and, and remember, our industry makes up less than 15, 15 to 17 percent of the of the the uh, population. So, um, with that said, there's just not enough business out there to do things like that. Yeah, um, you know, you, you got to remember something. A supplement company does well if they're doing a million a month in sales. A pharmaceutical company does a million a day, a million mm -hmm, a week. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and that's the difference. You know what I mean? A million a week, think about this. That's what, 40, 50 million a year? That's a small pharmaceutical company. Very small. Yeah. Uh, a 50, 50 million, I can tell you this, and I don't care who says what, 50 million in our industry only, only is probably about 10 or 15 guys. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. In our, in our industry as a whole. And I can tell you that for a fact, you know. Um, you know, and, and obviously I've ran new tricks and I've ran a hundred companies that were doing a hundred. I remember hearing a story that <laughs> we were doing like 400 million at EAS. We had just passed 125, you know, yeah. um, <laughs> yeah. and, 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 you know, and, and that's what everybody, they, they, they fail to understand that, you know, remember something, Bill Phillips sold EAS the second time for only 280 million. And remember, he's going to get a three-time markup on his EBITDA. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. Maybe maybe a six-time markup. I'm sorry, six, eight-time markup on EBITDA, three-time sales sometimes. So uh, that gives you an idea of what's what. Right. Um, so with that said, now, you know, like Mike said, a great example is Abbott Laboratories. Abbott Laboratories mm -hmm. buys EAS. Mm -hmm. you know, they're buying EAS. And, and I know they are spending money on, on human studies. Um I think most of it's going to be in the athletic side, the, the weekend warrior, you know, the cyclist, you know, people like that. Um, it's not going to go into bodybuilding because, you know, most of the guys have in their minds, except for the few, that you can't make money in the bodybuilding side. You have to go into the weekend warrior. Mm -hmm. um, the, you know, the guy that's going to get on his, his cycle and ride, you know, uh, 50 miles a weekend, you know. Right. Um, and, and that's the problem. You know, pharmaceuticals, you know, they're dealing with 250 million people in the population. It's a big, big market. Right. Uh, no, and, I, I and get that's it. The difference. Yeah. I, and well, point well taken. I mean, you, you could take the high road and say, listen, we want legitimate research, evidence based products, but um, that's why it's fun to talk to you, Jeff. And I, Mike, I know you have some business, you know, uh, background there too, yeah. but somebody's got to underwrite all this, right? And I think. Well, that's to pay for it. Well, right. I mean, and so. Right, right. And bodybuilders are such a tiny fraction of the population. Like you said, like Jeff, like everybody needs antibiotics. You know what I mean? Not everybody needs, right. uh, you know, some pre workout fat burner, you know? Right. So, right. Anyway. You know, and, and look what pro hormones did. I mean, you know, if we, you know, I think we want to talk about different highs and lows in the industry. 
Um, at one point, we had ephedrine and pro-hormones in the business at the same time. Well, Big Pharma only let that go on for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And, and, and say what you want, but they were behind Tommy Thomason uh, at the Secretary of Health, who I debated, by the way, on CNBC. Um, you know, he, he, there was no doubt he was being pushed to, to ban ephedrine because they were not going to allow two compounds on the market that truly work. Right. Now... Both those compounds you can get through your doctor. <laughs> yeah, isn't that so, funny? Yeah, isn't that funny? So you tell me. Uh, when we do find something that works, it's going to be shut down because the FDA is going to send their guard dog on you. And, and if now we have this new safety data stuff, if you come out with a compound that really works, well, you have to produce safety data that it really works, that it's really safe. Well, that's a simple way of putting handcuffs on our industry because we know most companies who, guys like you and I, who might come up with compounds or guys like Mike might have these ideas, but we don't have the money to have to try, uh, you know, absolutely studies. Not that, when you consider you the know, FDA, what they require like five years and umpteen million dollars, you know what I mean, before they'll right. approve something, you know. I mean, just look at the fees alone. Now, here's something a lot of people don't know. You do not have to have the FDA to put their stamp on, on something. That's not, it's not a requirement. Mm-hmm. Uh, the FDA is just a, a, a regulatory guard dog for our country, for our government. But you can come out with compounds. Now, when they turn around and slap the safety data stuff down, okay, great. I, I hope that anybody who comes out with something new does safety data anyhow. Um, you know, you, you would hope so. But that's where some of the limitations come in our creativity. I, I can tell people, if you want to go back and look, just go back to the to the mid two thousands, you know, two thousand two to two thousand five, two thousand six, and you'll see what the FDA did to our industry when we had ephedrine and pro hormones going at the same time. Right. They, they the, the industry grew ten times. I mean, astronomical. And and not only did we grow, we were getting credibility because people were getting results. Right. Burning body. Let's let's be honest. Ephedrine worked. Yep. Uh, its analogs, norephedrine, worked phenomenally. Um, and then pro hormones, I had one called one to you, one testosterone undecanate ester. And, and, and I, it, you know, as long as you follow the dosage, it was an amazing product that, you know, was putting packs and mounds of muscle in people. Um, now I understand the FDA's problem with pro hormones and ephedrine is that a lot of times kids that are under 20, 18 to 21, that range, they seem to abuse it. They think more is better. And uh, they don't realize that more sometimes just means side effects, and that includes the pharmaceutical products. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's where we've got our handcuff- handcuffs that are on the industry all the time. So what does that do to a guy like you and I? Well, we're not going to come out with new innovative stuff because we know that it's going to get squashed by the FDA. It'll be out there a year or two, and we'll put all our money into it. But if we don't do millions of dollars of double-time placebo studies, it's history. Right. And you know what, Jeff? I mean... Mike and I, we were in Spain last fall, yeah. I think, and I mean, we the first talk, you remember, that we were, we were sitting there, they're, yeah. they're trying yeah. to take common fish oils, uh, DHA, uh, mm-hmm. and they're trying to make analogs out of it that would be patentable drugs. Well, why are they doing this? Right. DHA works, right? Yeah. But right. it's because right. it's moving the same direction that ephedrine or, you know, pro-hormones moved. Uh, so there's that fine line, right? You're, I agree. They're, on one side, you want the credibility and the safety and efficacy data, Um uh, and on the other side, though, yeah, it's undeniable. And I mean, you know this better than me or or Mike. I think big pharma, there are people there that control a lot of this, you know. And if they say, "Oh, look, fish oils," that's like ephedrine, right? Everybody can use right. that. That's not just for Mister Bodybuilder guy, you know. And now all of a sudden they put their targets on it. 
So I don't know. Maybe that maybe they'll make, come up with some amazing analog and it'll work. But um, my guess is, you know, it's kind of like how they've tried to come up with cannabinoid, you know, um, compounds. Right. That it's like, listen, smoking pot does what it's, you know, <laughs> what the label says it's going to do. You know, right. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. So. Yeah, and it's funny you talk about that. I, I yesterday was in a meeting with uh, the the a senator and a regulatory. For, I'm in Florida. I, I have a, I, I'm in the community here, and we're trying to legalize medicinal marijuana. Mm-hmm. I lost my son two years ago to Xanax. Mm-hmm. Um, my son battled with anxiety. A doctor gave him more Xanax than it could kill a horse, and, and, and he went to sleep and didn't wake up. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but medicinal marijuana. He could have used that for anxiety and been fine. He, that's all he ever wanted to do yeah. was smoke marijuana legally. Yeah. And he would have been okay with it. Instead, I'd lose my son to it. So once again, you tell me, is it is Big Pharma right or are we right? I mean, why not have, allow something that works that's been proven to be safe for thousands of years? And, uh, and I mean, we're seeing, I have cancer. I fought cancer three times, and I'm going to tell you, I'm sorry, but smoking marijuana helped me with my nausea and, and my problem with eating. Because right. chemo will just tear you up. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, once again, a great example. But you can get Marinol t- uh, soft gels it, from your yeah. doctor at the pharmacy, which, by the way, don't work. They don't work um, near as well. Yeah, no, near as well. And and again, this is the same problem that we have. We're fighting big pharma. Big pharma controls the FDA, the government, um, because they pay for for uh, campaigning and everything else. Uh, they can, you know, they can hand their senator or their who, their and their and their lobbyists. Let's be honest. Now we, as an industry, have a lobbying group now. Um, actually, we have two lobbying groups that are in, in D.C. that are doing a very good job. Um, and I think that um, it's changing. I think, like Mike mentioned, some of the companies are starting to dabble into the other area. You know, DHA is a great example. Great example. Mm-hmm. Um, you're seeing uh, central fatty acids being brought out by pharmaceutical companies to the doctors now. Yep. Uh, um, and, and and I think and a lot of you, if anybody knows, they work. Um, well, yeah, um, I, that was my dissertation, you know, man. Yeah. <laughs> your, your dissertation, yeah, exactly. And, and I cite that dissertation often. Um, I think that um, you, um, I, I, I just, I see things. I, I do see things changing. Another, you know, right now is. Fossil title searing. I spoke to a neurologist the other day who's pushing fossil title searing. Um, the problem with fossil title searing to get good quality at a, at the proper dosage is very expensive. Yeah, and, and, and insurance, right? And insurance isn't going to cover it. Um, I have two friends who've had strokes, and I try to work with them. And uh, he, they went to a neurologist. He was pro fossil title searing, but at six hundred milligrams a day um, of that compound of true quality. High-grade pharmaceutical uh, serine is very expensive. It's going to cost you around seventy dollars a bottle. Yeah, um, and you'll go through that bottle in twenty days. Mm-hmm. So you know that gets expensive. Well, like you and said, it, it's about color. yeah price point. You know, I, I've often said that in the supplement world, I think the reason you don't see more side effects is because a lot of companies they're very modest in the dosing. And they're not doing that for safety reason. They're doing it for price point. You know, nobody wants to spend a hundred dollars on a bottle they're going to go through in two weeks. You know, right. um, the the weird okay. the weird offshoot of that is that it it's maybe safer in a way. It's harder to overdose, but like you said, that they're not doing it for some noble reason. They're doing it because it's price point. You know, they're not going to put yeah, absolutely. And it's and that's merchandising. Um, and and here's another example: is the internet. Look what the internet's done to our industry. 
I, um, yes, people say it's grown the industry unbelievable. Yes, that's great for the manufacturers. But the brick-and-mortar stores are going mm-hmm. under because now the Internet, the sale price is so cheap on the Internet mm-hmm. because you don't have to have a building and a warehouse and all that. What these Internet guys do is they, they put up a web page, they sell it $2 over their cost, and then they have a, farm, a distributor drop ship. Yeah, and 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 then they're going to charge you shipping and handling, and that's where they that's where they pay the distributor and, and blah blah blah. Well, once again, what we've done as an industry is cheapen ourselves. We've driven the price point down, okay, and that we have we've lost that touch where you walk into your store owner and talk about the product, get educated on it, um, good shelf merchandising and packaging, all that's out the door. I mean, look at some of these labels that we see now. I mean, some of the off the wall craziness. And I'm sorry, that hurts our legitimacy. Right. Um, whereas in the pharmaceutical industry, you would never have that. Now, obviously, the big name drugs you can't buy on the internet. Don't get me wrong; I'm not saying that. Um, but you know, let's face it: they have they send reps into a doctor, educate the doctor. The doctor pushes the product, and and we're seeing that in our industry. There's five or six companies, and Nutrix being one of them. We have 30 reps out there. Um, to go in and educate the brick and mortar stores, but unfortunately, they're a dime a dozen now. Mm-hmm. All this, all this has one cheapened our industry. It's driving our efficacy down and our legitimacy down. And and every time we get to that that ceiling where we think we're going to get over the hump, some you know we do this. And and I think Mike touched on it, and you did too, Lonnie. Is that it's so easy for a company to get in the business? That's one of the problems too. To this day, I say that's a problem. They can call a manufacturer and he will private label something, run a simple 10 case, 10 or 15 case run, boom, they're advertising, now they're in business. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's just not good for us. But I, I wanna, I'm sorry I went off so bad. No, that's fine. That, you're, you're loaded with info. <laughs> hey, now let's switch gears a little bit. Um, get a little less serious maybe and let's talk about stories i mean you guys have worked in the industry for ages you know jeff you even more than me you're like big brother to me you know so how long have you uh you said 25 years so what kind of stories i guess is what i'm saying have you come to mind (laughs) now wait hang on (laughs) don't go into the projectile vomiting story we did that last week (laughs) Okay, all right, all right, because I, I, Cause I you were there. I had to carry it. I know it. There, I so. know it. <laughs> but, uh, I, yeah, let me tell you a good one. I, I think this one's kind of funny. I, you know, if, if you're if you're if you've been to a show, the Arnold Classic or the Olympia, you know, it's it's a really cool thing, but it's also a freak show. You know, um, I mean, it's it's two steps away from uh, uh, you know a, a dance club. <laughs> yeah, mean, right. Uh, yeah, you know, a strip a, a strip club sometimes. Uh, matter of fact, I did have to tell one. One uh, manufacturer, he had painted on his uniform to his girls, except the bottoms, and we had to, we had to tell him to leave. I mean, come on, man! We had oh, kids man. walking around, and you've got nipples sticking out. You right. Know? Um, I mean, a, a kid can tell that's painted on, you know. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, you know, it's funny. This is back in the mid uh, mid to late nineties, and this is a very very well known owner of a very popular product in the, in our industry at the time, and uh, I had just joined his team. And I said, um, he wanted me to walk back to the hotel from the Arnold Classic, which is in Columbus, Ohio. And, and back then, we were still in the old Veterans Building, if you remember that. I Maybe do, tomorrow. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and we're walking back across the bridge to the hotels, and, and I see two of the most beautiful fitness models. And if I, I don't want to say who they are, but if I said who they are, they're, very, they're, they're internationally known now. 
let's just say they left there and their careers took off in another crazy industry, if you haven't figured it out. But it's um, <laughs> just gorgeous women. And I go to him and I said, what, what was that? And he says, oh, they're coming they're meeting me back in my room in an hour. And I said, what do you mean, both of them? He says, yeah. And I says, uh, what in business do you need me there? Because you know, I'm, his, I'm his top dog right now. Right? Hey, man, I think we're talking business. Are we going to sign these girls as endorsements or whatever? And he says, no, no, no. I said, but I thought I heard you say we were trying. He goes, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. They know what they're coming to the room for. He goes, I'm not, I said, are you offering them an endorsement contract for this, this uh, favor? He says, let's put it this way. I'm not saying I am. I'm not saying I ain't. Oh, God. I don't say, I don't tell them they are. I don't tell them they aren't. <laughs> I said, that ain't the best part. That ain't the best part. I says, wait, so you lured these girls that they're going to get an endorsement contract, hence for, sexual favor, whatever, you know, a time with you. He said he loves doing bubble baths with two of them. And he says to me, he says, that's not the problem. You know, he goes, what if you could help me with this? I says, what? He goes, it's my wife. Do you think you can talk to her? Because she's there working, by the way. His oh, wife. my God. <laughs> she, she's there working. And he asked me, he says, you think you can talk to her for me because she likes you a lot? He goes, just let her know. It's just sex. It's not, it has nothing to do with love. <laughs> God. Yeah. And I said, I said, I don't, I don't know if I can help you on that one. Yeah, you know, very well, very well known physician, funny, funny guy. But uh, you know, I, I needs to say, me and his wife never uh, uh, got along. We bumped heads uh, from time to time, and, and uh, you know, quick, quick end of the story was I don't. Maybe if I'd have supported him on that, she'd have been on my side. I don't know. Right. Um, but <laughs> well, it's hard to hit it off or with somebody. Supportive. Yeah, when you're the bearer of bad news, man, talk about shoot the messenger. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, I, I have to say about that guy, that is one guy that has spent some money in his in his time. He spent some money on some on some good studies, on some good, uh, really good stuff in the industry. I, you know, I hear he's coming back, though. Right, just a bit of a lech. Yeah, I, I know I know who we're talking about, and I, he's yeah. got... He's pretty inf- infamous for that kind of stuff. I've heard stories about yeah, cruise ships on the deck, and I- I'm not even going to go there. I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> oh, yeah. He, oh, yeah. He, he, he's something else. But, you know, I think when you have those real intricate uh, guys that like he is, um, you, you know, you have that, I guess. I don't know. Right. Yeah. But, uh, All right. Let me, know, I, I, yeah. let me switch gears to Mike. So, I don't know, any stories that you've bumped into? I mean, whether it's a science side or people you've met, anything like that? Yeah, a couple of things. I mean, it's it's interesting. And Alani and I, we've talked about this a lot in the past. If you look at sort of the main person who runs a lot of the, the supplement companies, you can just, you know, go down the line. Everyone pretty much knows who they are. They're usually very intelligent, but very odd in certain, because they come <laughs> up with wacky ideas that you're like, wow, that's just crazy. And, you know, a lot of them work, a lot of them don't. But I think that's where a lot of the innovation comes from for better or worse. And you go back to, you know, pro hormones and all this stuff, the modifications to those and everything forward. Um, so I always find that that's <clears throat> pretty much kind of the standard model for a lot of them. Another thing too, is just when I went to VPX, when I was down there, the scale that the bigger companies operate on is, is kind of mind blowing. You know, they're giving us a tour and there's like, you know, a freaking, you know, pallet stocked full of canisters of leucine. You know, just, I mean, the amount of, you know, manufacturers of raw materials that, that go through there, you're like, holy crap. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got just, you know, stacks of, you know, stuff of just, you know, anhydrous caffeine, you know. So I think the 
the scale of some of them that actually put together the, the compounds and stuff themselves was was pretty surprising, I think, for me it was. Yeah, I wonder what the average consumer, if they think – because like Jeff was saying, there are some of these companies, they're so fly-by-night, and yet they, yeah. can, they can have an internet presence, and it's hard to tell them from some of these mega – corpse now granted like just said compared to the big pharma it's all a joke but you know what i mean but yeah the magnitude is huge and i know what you're talking about when i did that little tour you know through there that that factory and the warehouse and everything it's like holy crap you know these guys are they're on a level that i didn't i didn't understand at first you know what i mean Uh, as far as how much they have going on they're like here you know these are the food technologists you know guys in the white coats and behind the glass and all the like you said the giant pallets and stuff it is kind of cool to see that. It almost makes you wonder, like, you know, you know, like the um, the protein bar, the extruder. You know what I'm talking about, Mike? It came off. The, yeah, it I came, got one right off the line. Yeah, the right. They eat it warm, <laughs> and you're thinking they squirt this thing into it, and then they wrap yeah. it and everything. And when you see how much sure. there is, it's almost like, damn. And I'm paying like two or three bucks for that little snippet that that squirted out of this machine. Look how much there is. You know what I mean? They, you know, it makes you wonder exactly how much they decide to put in the wrapper and. Because there's just such a plentitude, you know, of it in the machine and everything. It's just kind of cool to see the mass stuff. Yeah, yeah. And well, you know, um, like I said, there's, you know, the I think the eighty um, twenty rule applies to this industry um, perfectly. You know, eighty percent of the business is done by twenty percent of the people. You know what I mean? Um, and and that's just the fact. Mm-hmm. Now that other that other twenty percent is split up amongst hundreds and hundreds of companies. Um, and because of the internet now, obviously you can have a company like you said, and, and what do you, what's the difference between a VPX or a Nutrix? Um, and then, uh, I don't want to use it when these other small companies, but I, I have a friend who has a company who's running it right out of his garage. He even has a, a $10,000 pill press in there. Uh, really old, <laughs> wow. old, old pill press. And he's pressing out some, <laughs> pressing out some stuff. Now, now, obviously we're in Florida, so he runs into some moisture issues, you know. Uh, the machine gums up from time to time his blender, but <laughs> wow, um, you know, kind of comical. But I, you know, I said you do know that if the FDA caught you or even the state of Florida without bill, you, you know, you're, yep. you're looking at some serious fines. And uh, he's like, well, they got to catch me. There, who's going to know I'm pressing these things out in the garage? You know, yeah. But um, and you, and you look at VPX who do, who does, you know, I've known Jack a long time, and and you know, I was the president of his company for a while. Uh, he does try to do uh, the right thing, and, and he's a very legitimate scientist. Um, and he has a, quite a staff now. You know, he's done very well for himself, and, and, and does produce some of his own product. Now, you guys got to see how much raw material goes into a product. I think that's that's always eye opening. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the cost involved. So, what's nice thing about it is you realize there's a serious cost involved because we don't use artificial flavors and uh, and preservatives. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so you know, to put in legitimate, good, healthy stuff, it's it's expensive. Mm-hmm. Well, expensive. we're almost out of time. Let me let me ask you guys one thing then: a positive and a negative. What jumps to mind if you can do this sort of briefly um, from your years working in the bodybuilding supplement industry, uh, Mike? Let's start with you. What's a positive and a negative that you can think of? Yeah, I would say a negative. Like right now, what Jeff talked about too: a lot of the protein spiking. You know, just because, I mean, I've been to Walmart before and looked at their brand of protein, and I know how much the raw material costs if you were to order it in bulk. I'm like, there's no way in how these people are losing money on it, right? So you're like, you know, something doesn't doesn't add up on that. Um, I would say as a benefit, there is still some, you know, innovation going on, you know, kind of like what Jeff said, how long that'll 
stay before it changes due to FDA or that type of thing is debatable. Um, and one of them was just, I know one that Patrick Arnold had of ketone salts. So he's actually made a ketone ester, which is considered more of a, a drug for drug trials, and then more of what's currently considered a supplement, which is a ketone salt. Uh, both of them appear to have similar pharmacokinetics and that type of thing. You know, still very early, but there is, you know, in little niche areas, I think, some innovation still left, which is good. Mm-hmm. What about you, Jeff? A positive and a negative? Well, what- I, I think I'm, I'm going to piggyback Mike as well. I think the, the positive, and you guys both touched on the positive, is some of the most innovative guys in this industry. I hope you weren't talking about me there, Mike. The quirky, the innovative guys are also the quirky <laughs> oh, yeah. guys. <laughs> we, uh, we come up with these, we come up with these crazy ideas, but at the same time, uh, some of the craziness is, is, is that we have, I think, is is our probably our negative as well. Yeah. Um, with that with that said, we come up with unique things. Um, the, the negative side is not making them legitimate and and uh, you know bringing it to guys like you guys and, and, and doing the research and. Uh, that may be the downside of it. Um, I, a great example, again, I'll touch back, is ephedrine and, and pro-hormones. If we would have did our work properly, I think we, we would probably still have both those things around. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, thanks, guys. We're just about out of time, so I just wanted to offer some gratitude for joining us this week. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. All right. Cool stuff. Thank you. Okay, everybody, next week we'll be back with Phil. Phil's got some guys... Um, from his gym they're out on the um, highland games field i think um so that's why he's not with us today but we'll have everything back on our normal schedule next week enter the fortress all right Enter the Fortress column this week. Uh, we're going to try to stick with a f- similar context as we have in this series of articles, and it's going to continue next week as well, uh, talking about behind the scenes. And obviously when uh, Jeff McCarroll was talking, a lot of it had to do with dietary supplement companies. And Fortress, you've got your share of that. So uh, let's think about a positive, a negative, and a story from working in the industry. Right. How about well, a positive? I don't know. Let's it's let's start with a, the positive if we can. The positive, I said su- I suppose the freebies. <laughs> okay. Like getting all the free stuff. Like mountain what? mountains of it. Um yeah. Like product? Protein, yeah, protein powders, all that kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah. Um which it always seems that people who are working for supplement companies have a whole garage full of the stuff. Yeah, and they're always, and they're always and they're always saying to everybody they know, "Hey, I got a bunch of stuff I can send you because nobody really wants it." <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, we've seen that before. Yeah, you know, I mean, including the pros, you know, who um, <laughs> profess to rely on it, right? <laughs> profess to rely on it to achieve their, you know, Mister Olympia conditioning. <laughs> you know, and then you. Then you go into their uh, garage, and the car has to be parked out in the freaking front because the garage is full of skids of of the fart powder. They, they don't want, right? They don't want. They don't even yeah, know what so it is. They don't even know what's in them. What's like? Yeah. What's in the boxes? You know? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, they're just like, yeah, just. I've actually heard stories of pros actually on the side selling the stuff outside of the company, trying to make extra money. 
I believe it. I totally yeah. believe it. All right. Yeah. So if a positive is – and it's true. You're right. I mean we've been there You know where you got a closet or even a basement full of protein powder. And, you know, that has use. Some of this stuff does have some use. Um, but what about a negative? Can you uh, rant – about something that was just wrong in the industry. I don't know, something bad. Um, well, you and I were talking about the, the time that uh, we were at, uh, I guess, the Arnold Classic, and they had that... that well, who was that kid? What was his name anyway? I cannot remember. He kind of was like a D-level celebrity in, in, body, <laughs> in bodybuilding for about six months. I think he was featured in some sort of show or something. Little Hercules or something like that. Because remember, he was very hyper-muscular. Yeah, Little little Herc. Some kid that was like, what was he, like nine or something? I I don't know. I would guess nine. Yeah, and he was... uh, Ripped. A lot of our our listeners probably remember the reference. You know, it kind of is analogous to the whole kind of the man whose arms exploded. You know, that kind of fame thing. Notoriety that lasted for a little bit because of... A couple pieces that were done on this kid. You oh, know, people were, you mean people uh, were, Greg Valentino, right? Yeah, with the giant yeah. synthol arms. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which seems to be now the uh, the I'll use the word pinnacle of aesthetics now <laughs> in a lot of these uh, Middle Eastern countries with these doofuses shooting the oil in there. Yeah, what's up with that? It's it, like caught on somehow. Like let's do the let's do the synthol oil silicon filled fake arms thing. Yeah, it's out of control. And to the these... point of absurdity, right? It's not even, they don't even try to make it look realistic. I don't know. Yeah, and all these toolboxes now are walking around a year later with necrotic body parts. But anyway, um, yeah, so you had this kid, little, little Herc, or whatever his name was. <laughs> and uh, people were accusing everybody of, um, everybody was accusing his father. Well, they were Russian or something? I of, think of so, Russian, yeah. Feeding the kid steroids or something i don't know what was going on and you actually have a funny story about that too because we were there once and you were in a meeting that i wasn't in and they had uh, sherry goggins remember who they had under contract as one of their fitness personalities okay yes mm-hmm. and and you told me the story about where they were discussing like how to use this little hurt kid or something okay. exploit the little kid in a thong and you um and you she started going off about how the kid could bench press like 360 or something yeah you yeah. remember that you were saying that you told me this story say that she was going off about oh he bench presses 360 pounds or something and it was just like yeah sure anyway um anyway as it turns out i remember you and i were doing our um as we were want to do back there we were just wandering around the expo laughing at things and yeah our the company at the time that we were Sadly, and affiliated with um, the kid was up on a stage. Yeah, like just like you were saying, uh, all decked out, but beju- you know, like a bejeweled thong, doing all sorts of dancing acrobatics, yeah. and of course, contortionist even. Yeah, yeah. And I remember you and I didn't even really say each- when we first saw. It, we didn't even say anything. We just kind of looked at each other with this look of disgust, like, "Oh, <laughs> I remember da- uh, that." Like, <laughs> Like what is going on here? And this kid was like, doing no this words, thing. no words are going to justify this, right? You know, this debacle. And especially when you see you're looking around the you know the flimsy crowd that's standing around watching this spectacle, and you know probably a good third of the people are you know very large middle aged sweaty men, um, 
Yeah, creepy. Who have, who have really no business at all being at a bodybuilding fitness expo. Right, you got to question their motivation. <laughs> but but probably heard through the you know the pedo grapevine that young Herc was going to be there oh or something. My I don't God. know. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, good. it was. It wasn't very good. It wasn't very good. And then there was the lawyer guy that was also retained by Pinnacle. Remember? And he, I'm remember suppressing he was, his name as we speak. Yep. Yeah, and we and he was a lawyer working actually for Pinnacle, and we confronted he, him, didn't we? Were like, this is this is disturbing beyond. Oh well, yeah, we, he know. was kind of looking at the stage with the same disgust <laughs> that you and I were right in shock, <laughs> and we kind of were just like. What's going on here? Yeah, <laughs> how is this going to sell sell supplements? You know, how's yeah. this, how's this going to push the the tablets onto the crowd? What, where are you going to make the connection between the contorted nine year old, you know, <laughs> on on performance enhancing drugs, you know, and <laughs> hey, go buy our herbal product? <laughs> oh, it was so embarrassing. I mean, the guy's like oiling up his abs and stuff on stage, and then he's all these you know sweaty fat dudes are like. Salivating. No, it was, you know it was, what? And it we was should, just no good. Let me back was, up before anybody's like, I'm so disgusted that, you know, they're laughing about this, but we were the ones trying to protect him and saying, listen, this is completely off the deep end. You know, I don't know why you think this is appropriate, you know, but it sure seems to us like child exploitation. Let's not, I don't think you guys should be doing this. But then, like so many things in the supplement world, Rob, you know, you've got the voices of reason on one side of the table. And if you're outvoted by the hundred marketers on the other side of the table, you know it happens anyway. You know, you know, in any other venue, it wouldn't have even been a question of like just a few guys freaking kind of just shaking our heads about what was going on. But you know, the circus that sometimes can be bodybuilding. Yeah, yeah. You know, circus. and and for all our listeners who have been to these, you know, whether it be the Mr. Olympia or the Arnold Expo or any of that stuff. You know as well as we do that those things can reach circus levels of ridiculousness. You know, so well, there's a fine line sometimes between. We've talked about this before with the subculture of bodybuilding and everything between physique display and something that's just wrong. I don't know. You know, just too bizarre, too circus sideshow like. You know. Yeah. So, and it was actually pretty soon after that. I remember that kind of heat. That little hurt kid. <laughs> we keep calling him that. I guess I don't know what that well, was. You know what? Was, Let's just say that in quotations because I don't exactly remember his name, and I'm not going to point a finger at any individual. You know what I mean? Yeah. Except to say, wow, what we saw was was not right. Yeah, and like I said, it was soon after that. I remember that the kind of the zenith of those this kid's kind of you know uh, public exposure was kind of because I remember seeing something on TV soon after that where they were kind of had this little thing on. I don't know. It must have been one of like a sixty minutes type show. I'm sure it wasn't sixty minutes, but it's something like that where they, you know, where they, and of course the accusations were flying, and the, I, I believe the mother was kind of like not really in the picture, and the, the father was on the run or something. There was all these rumors, you know, about yeah, are they on the run from some murder rap in Russia or something? I mean, all dirty rumors, maybe, but. At the same time, it just added to the shadiness of the whole scene, you know. Wow. Yeah, and, um, you know, that kid, I mean, I remember four or five years ago, I saw some update on that kid because somebody was talking about it on one of the bodybuilding boards or something. And No. I don't know. He was doing, like, stunt work or... Hmm. I'm sure I have this wrong, but, I mean, something like dancing, stunt work, or I don't know, and it was just... 
you know, you just cut, kind of saw the ashes of the... <laughs> The, 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 <laughs> the burned embers of what, what was a, a false start in life. I right, don't know. Right. All right. Listen, we're almost uh, out of time already. We just oh. don't have a, we don't have a lot of time. I wanted to get to your story now because we were talking about supplements earlier in the show. You talked about Bob Kennedy, and I know you have a lot of respect for Bob, and you know, end sure. of an era kind of thing, of course. But he he has made his blunders. Well, you know, kind of predating the whole muscle tech debacle that kind of swept through muscle mag because of Paul Gardner. I mean, Bob, I remember, because, you know, these were the kind of the the glory days of when, you know, EAS was out and all that stuff. So people were really, really, really going for the whole marketing campaigns. And that was kind of like the trend, right? All these designer supplements and you know, the big marketing campaigns. And I remember Bob being like, okay, well, we're going to start our own supplement company. It's going to be a muscle mag brand. And we're going to go the complete opposite of what's the trend right now with all this crazy marketing outlandish claims and all this kind of stuff. And we're just going to do, you know, like a, like a, like a protein powder. It wasn't even whey. It was just like, like old school protein, protein powder, you know, some carb drinks, I guess that was it or something like that. Anyway, and even in the ads, he purposefully, you know, I, I remember the, the 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 ads with text that with things saying things like, how do we know our products work? We don't. <laughs> we, 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 you know, why don't we have any uh, pictures of, you know, Mr. Olympias in our ads? Because, you know, because... Nobody who's ever used our supplements have done anything because we just started the company. Like, it was just, I understand where he was trying to sure. go with it. Like truth in advertising, right? Yeah, like yeah. he was trying to go to the extremes on the other side of, you know, being truthful and honest and just, you know, forthcoming about exactly what was going on. And it just utterly crashed oh, and burned. No. So he just kind like, of discredited I mean, himself, you know. Yeah, and it was like again, or bored I mean, people to death. It, I don't know. You know, he was getting this, the, the you know the stuff from the same few ingredient providers that every other company was getting his stuff from. But you know, he had his store downstairs, you know, launching the stuff, and you know, even I, you know, with all due respect to the people who you know, the graphic designers who came up with the labels, and it was obviously people that were working for Muscle Mag at the time. I, I don't know. I can't remember who exactly it was, but even the labels were kind of lame. You know, it was okay, just... Okay, yeah. It was just like, you know, I mean, like it or lumping, you know, like uh, hyperbole and flash always will sell. And this stuff wasn't selling. You know, and it was... I mean, you know, our basement <laughs> was full of skins oh, of the stuff. No. Yeah, you know, it was like kind of coming full coming full circle to what we were talking about when we started this whole segment. You know, I mean, we just it was no good. You know, and it, and it kind of just dropped. And of course, he had the perfect medium because it was his magazine, right? Right, so, exactly. Know. The vehicle to spread the word, right? I mean, that's sort of what Muscle yeah. Tech benefited from. Yeah, you know, the big double page ads and stuff, and it was just. Uh, Again, I understand what he was trying to do, you know, just be overly honest. You know, is this stuff going to make you huge? No. 
you know, is this stuff, you know, is this, uh, you know, it's just protein, you know, <laughs> like right. that kind of thing. Well, there's, yeah. a, there's a, I guess there's a line between being honest and just, yeah, boring people and discrediting yourself because it sounds like it was just badly done. Well, yeah. one of the reasons, of course, is that, you know, supplements have, have become so, you know, have done so well, these companies, because the demographic that you're largely selling to is overly excited. Right. Usually, yeah. usually ignorant, immature, and, you know, <laughs> and impulsive. <laughs> so, well, I know, no, I understand. Being, I know, because, I know. Because we were, we were the same way. I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I have nothing but sympathy, actually. <laughs> sympathy. Because I have sympathy for guys like you and me when we were seventeen years old. You know what I mean? Like I know, uh, like busting your ass mowing lawns all summer so you can buy one bottle of something that's a yeah. supposed steroid replacement. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so you know these companies largely are so successful because of the immaturity and ignorance and overexcitement levels of its major demogra- buying demographic. Right. They demand yeah. hyperbole. So when you're, you know, when you're, you know, when you're pulling the the Bob thing there. And again, you know, he was he was actually, you know, because I would talk to him about it. I mean, he was le- legitimately trying to do a good thing, you know. I mean, obviously make some money in the process. No harm in that. But, I mean, the products were every bit, of, you know, for, for protein and carbohydrates and stuff. It was everybody as, you know, as, as you know, legitimate as anything else. And But he was just trying to, you know, scratch away at, at all the, the crap. And it it just... Because of that demographic, I suppose. I mean, it just was not right. exciting. Yeah, you know, you know like, Rob. I a couple of years ago, I was listening to um, a talk from a guy at a big, you know, U.S. government agency, nutrition-related agency, and I'm trying to be um, as nebulous as I can. And he said, you know, when I speak to people personally about the power of nutrition, although I personally am very excited about it, I love to look at the research. The average consumer is incredibly underwhelmed as I start to list all the caveats and all the, you know, like you might be able to put on a couple of pounds over two or three months, you know, kind of things, a muscle mass or whatever it might be. But I remember what the word that stuck in my mind from him was underwhelming, you know, because their expectations have been completely distorted. But Absolutely so. All right. Well, yeah. that, was a, that was a good story about Bob, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right, we're out of time, everybody. Uh, so we're going to call it there. And next week, we're going to continue our series with Industry Insiders, probably the last in the series. Uh, so we'll see you next week. Later. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, Please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.